So tonight, I'd like to speak about faith. I want to first so make sure the volume is good. Is the volume good? So, okay. So tonight I'll speak about faith, which in the Buddhist understanding is a trust, confidence in the heart. Have a trust, confidence, conviction from the heart. And I'd like to begin by reflecting on the night of the Buddha's awakening. It's been mentioned a couple of times during the retreat already. But it's particularly a source of great inspiration to me, perhaps to you. So the Buddha went in search of awakening. He went in search of freedom and liberation to free the heart from all confusion, the confusion of greed, hatred, and delusion, and to open to the heart of wisdom, to a heart of infinite compassion. He left his kingdom as a prince, left his family, took deep renunciation, and practiced for several years, many years, before reaching what later became Bodhgaya and the Bodhi tree. And on the night of his awakening, he vowed to sit until realizing complete freedom and liberation, complete freedom and liberation of the heart. And even on that night, even with all of his practice, Mara, the force of greed, aversion, and delusion, still appeared in the form of doubt. Mara saying, who are you? What right do you have to be here? Maybe in today's language might have been, you're not good enough. And this beautiful expression from the Buddha, touching the earth, touching the earth, I have a right to be here. The earth bearing witness. And the Buddha said, I see you, Mara, just like us, when doubt arises, recognizing, accepting, not identifying. I see you, Mara. And Mara vanished. Mara was vanquished. And the Buddha fully realized awakening, fully realized the truth of the way it is, as only a Buddha can fully realize the truth. And the Buddha reflected afterwards, reviewed that which was realized directly, the truth of the way it is, and he considered whether to share the preciousness of the teachings. And he was visited by spiritual forces, by devas, who said there are those with a little dust in their eyes who are ready to awaken on hearing the truth. And the Buddha decided to share the Dharma, in effect setting in motion the wheel of the Dharma, the wheel of the truth. And the Dharma, as taught by the Buddha, directly connects to, this, to us in this present moment. The form of our practice, the teachings we're offering, all came from the Buddha turning the wheel of the Dharma. 
So it inspires me to reflect that there's really no separation whatsoever between this present moment and the moment of the Buddha's awakening 2,600 years ago, almost 2,600 years ago. And the fact that he shared these precious teachings that they've been carried forward over this period of time for the first several hundred years before there was a written language, written word, by renunciants who memorized the teachings of the Buddha, carried them forward over their lifetime, repeating them again and again, passing them to the next generation of renunciants until there was a written word. So reflecting on that, on how these precious teachings have been carried forward over that time. And the Buddha recognized that all beings have the right to realize freedom. Freedom from the forces of fear, anger, doubt. Freedom from the fear of needing to be in contention with anything. All beings having the right to the freedom, the peace and ease that is not conditioned on anything. So whether our practice is directed to bringing more peace, more ease, more happiness into our lives, or whether our practice is directed more toward realizing the highest freedom and liberation. We all have a right to be here. This is exactly what the Buddha taught. And the Buddha was a human being, as reflected in this quote. The renunciants of the time were concerned that as the Buddha was dying, that they would be unable to carry on their practice, unable to make progress on the path. And the Buddha spoke these words. Therefore, be lamps unto yourselves. Be a refuge to yourselves. Hold yourselves to no external refuge. Hold fast to the truth as a lamp. Hold fast to the truth as a refuge. Look not for a refuge in anyone besides yourselves. not for a refuge in anyone besides yourselves. So the emphasis is on trusting our own direct, deepest experience. Not following edicts, not expected to adopt an unquestioning set of beliefs. Trusting in our own deepest experience, trusting in our own hearts. And the quote points to looking within to see the truth that is to be realized right here, right now, in this direct, present awareness. But it requires a faith, this trust, this confidence in the heart, this trust and awareness, and in our willingness to meet each moment fully, just as it is, without needing it to be otherwise placing our trust or confidence in this present awareness. And faith provides the element of both inspiration and aspiration, trusting our right to be here, trusting our right to realize a higher happiness or the highest happiness that's not dependent on any condition. This faith dispels doubt and supports the arising 
of gratitude supports the fading away of the hindrances and then the arising of the seven factors of, of awakening. Mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy or rapture, tranquility, concentration, and wisdom. And you'll be hearing more about these seven factors in the coming week. So faith is balanced by wisdom, balanced by wisdom, the insight, discernment factor, and supported by our practice of mindfulness. It allows us to welcome everything and ride the storms that sometimes come up in practice. To allow us to be present for the aversion, the fear, the anger, the sadness, doubt. To be able to be present and in effect say, I see you, Mara. To recognize, accept, be intimate with, and not attach to, not identify with anything that's arising and to also welcome the times when we pass beyond those crashing waves into the still waters as the hindrances subside and happiness and joy and peace, ease arise, and really taking time to appreciate those. And sometimes being able to wisely dive under those crashing waves to reach the still waters. So clearly the Buddhist faith is not about an unquestioning belief or adopting the Buddha's teachings as fixed edicts. The Buddhist, Buddha taught a path for understanding and realizing the truth directly, granularly. So the Buddha in no way wished to be identified as a god. So in the language of the Buddha in Pali, the word faith is most is translated uh, the in Pali, the word is sada. And sada is a confidence, conviction, trust of the heart. Sharon Salzberg, in her beautiful book on faith, defines it as to place the heart upon. And Gil Franzel defines that word sada as confident, trusting in the expression, trusting heart, which suggests clearness, brightness, purity, and calmness, suggesting a peaceful confidence, but not a zealousness. So this, this sata that we translate as faith is very different from the faith of most religious traditions. In fact, even different from the Merriam-Webster def definition. The Merriam-Webster definition of faith is an unquestioning belief in God or religion. Uh, we're asking you to accept a different definition of faith that is uh, consistent with a Buddhist understanding. And if for some folks, because of the, their history with other religions, faith can be a word that triggers a lot. So I invite you, if the faith, word faith doesn't resonate for you, to perhaps every time you hear me say the word faith, to think of trust in the heart, if that works for you better. Uh, trusting confidence, trusting the heart, trusting the practice of awareness to be present for all that arises. And really opening to not knowing, opening to the mystery. This is what faith calls upon us to do. 
beautiful quote from Alan Watts. Faith is an unreserved opening of the mind to the truth, whatever it turns out to be. Faith has no preconceptions. It is a plunge into the unknown. Beliefs cling, but faith lets go. So the fates and the Buddhist understandings is all subject to our checking it out. Not called upon to adopt any set of beliefs. Just to practice this practice of mindfulness, of present awareness, that the truth can be realized directly. Everything open to question, everything open to examination. So, so fundamentally different than other religions where what is most sacred is not to be questioned. Buddhism is a practice, really. Buddhism is a practice, not a religion. For that reason, I've always considered myself a Buddhist practitioner, not actually a Buddhist. And faith is very different than hope. Hope is rooted in fear. Hope is fixated on a particular outcome and the fear that that hope-for outcome won't be attained. So my own experience coming into practice, I came into the practice both with a recognition that there had to be something more. There was some deep unsatisfactoriness in life and something more was called for. But also I came into practice with this pain in my body that I couldn't stand. I just wanted to get rid of this. Tried acupuncture, medication, nothing worked. I hated this pain. I pushed it away. I thought, how can I live with this pain? So I came into the Buddhist practice hoping, hoping it would go away, fearing it wouldn't. And went into the storm, sat with a fear that underlay that, the doubt that arose. It began to unwind. That pain became sensation. The sensation is still there. Maybe 10% of it's discomfort. 90% of it was a resistance to the sensation. So this is possible. It's not always so. A few years ago, I was sitting a month-long retreat with Guy, and I had a disc slip in my back. That was pain. (laughs) There was no being otherwise. But I could still use the tools of the practice to not resist, to not try and make it otherwise, to just be present for it, even though it was still still painful. So hope is like a near enemy of faith in that way. And you can watch for the alarm bell of, if only it would be this way, then I would be happy. So it might be, if only this peaceful meditation I just had in this last sitting would be that same way in every other sitting during this retreat. Or if only the doubt that's been coming up would go away, then I could really be happy in this retreat. So watch for that if only signal and see what else is present. Most often find that if there's that hope quality present, that there's the underlying condition of fear. 
So the far enemy is despair or hopelessness. And these, these qualities all arise in our practice, hope and hopelessness, despair. I experience this as kind of a sense of shutting down, of isolation, of a hard shell starting to form and a real strong sense of identification, me, separateness. It can take the form of guilt. Guilt has a sense of I and me and separation, whereas remorse has more of a sense of melting and not a separateness to it. It can also sometimes feel like a sense of dying, of death, actually, when the despair and hopelessness is very strong. And the development and the strengthening of faith can really support us through these periods when hopelessness may be arising in practice or when dark nights arise in practice. So what do we have faith, confidence, conviction of the heart in? I'll list some things and then talk about these in more detail. We're going to have faith in this heart-mind, in this present awareness. Faith in our own deepest experience, faith in our own hearts. Trust in our own authenticity. Faith in our actions for social change or for environmental change. Faith in this path of practice, the Eightfold Path path of Practice. Faith in letting go and the opening to not knowing. Faith in our own right to be here. Faith in our own right to a deeper happiness, to to the deepest happiness. Faith in the triple gem, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. And these lead, these forms of faith, faith with our practice leads in the direction toward freedom from suffering, toward a freedom and a happiness not dependent on anything being any particular way, to a resting in a perfect peace and balance and the possibility of the heart being released from all confusion. And I love the words, not being in contention with anything. So peace is possible in any moment. And fundamentally, peace is already here. We just need to allow the veils of confusion to drop away with a purification that happens through this practice. And we can really open to the Brahma-viharas at the deepest level, these beautiful qualities of the heart, ultimately innate qualities, you could say innate qualities of awareness, of loving kindness and compassion, empathetic joy and equanimity. So these beautiful qualities just arise spontaneously in response to conditions. So faith has two important functions of first uplifting or inspiring. 
So inspiring us even as we face challenges, inspiring us to connect with our deepest intentions, our deepest wishes, our deepest potential, and clarifying the second aspect of clarifying, purifying understanding. And the teaching in the teaching of uh, understanding of transcendent dependent origination, with the arising of faith, faith leads to joy, leads to rapture, to tranquility, happiness, concentration, knowledge, and ultimately to freedom. So this is a path of transcendent dependent origination. That's a purification process, this trusting of the heart. Today in the um, Metta Instructions, Guy referred to trusting in our own goodness. Trusting in our own goodness, which is an expression of faith, beautiful expression of faith. It's supported by the cultivation of loving kindness. I'd like to take some time to talk about the some specific reflections on forms of faith, forms of the trusting confidence in the heart, and share a very personal story on faith. A faith that I experienced and received support from, from my grandparents when I was young and actually over the course of my whole life. So my grandparents, my mother's parents, my mother was her only child, and my mother died when I was 18, so I was fairly young. She was oh, maybe 53 years old, so fairly young as well. And for a parent to lose her only child is, is very difficult, often devastating. But my grandparents had such deep faith. There was an unshakable confidence and trust in the natural order of things trust in the way things are. And it really carried me. It carried me through that difficult time. Didn't talk, almost talked, almost nothing was said about it. But I could feel that trust. And they expressed in some way, I don't remember the exact words, but the, the message was trusting the natural order of the way things are. And it allowed a letting go. It allowed a letting go for me. And I think they were letting go too. Their fundamental peace, their fundamental happiness was not disturbed. There was still grief. But it allowed some deep easing and letting go for me to recognize there was not a need to be in contention with even this, with even death and dying that even with this, peace is possible. And it's just become a doorway for opening to a deeper and deeper letting go throughout my lifetime. So a few years after that, a little bit more on that. Um, my grandfather, my grandparents lived until their 90s and really a sweet relationship with them, really kind, loving hearts and uh, 
my mother or grandmother died a few years um, before my grandfather. I think he was 96. And because of that faith and confidence, a trust in the way things are, trust in the natural order, even after losing his wife, my grandmother, he remained very engaged, making new friends. He lived in a uh, retirement home. He had still had all of his mental faculties up, up until the time he died. He was very popular with the women in the home because he was the only man who had his full mental faculties. <laughs> and he loved to play bridge, so they all wanted to be to play bridge with him in the evening. And, uh, but he was very demanding. He insisted they play bridge until at least 10 o'clock. If they left early in the evening, they were not invited back again. <laughs> so their, their faith carried me too. Again, in the you know, five years later, about 25, 26 years old, and um, living in San Francisco as a gay man, and the AIDS epidemic hit. I lost many, many friends, many friends who got sick and died, including my best friend. And I called upon that faith. It just naturally arose, this trusting of the way things are, not needing to understand how that works, knowing there's a mystery to it, but trusting in it. This is what we're called upon to do, to trust, to not know, to not know what comes next, but to trust, to trust it's going to all be okay. And I've found some strength to be with that, to be with the death and dying and found an even deeper peace. So it's been my particular Dharma gate over my entire life before even finding the Buddhist practice to be present with death and dying. It's been the doorway for a deeper understanding. And it's not necessarily your Dharma gate, but it's been my Dharma gate. And it really kept opening as I was with friends who were dying, opening to a deeper and deeper letting go and opening to insights into the truth of the way it is and finding a deeper peace. But it wasn't enough. And the pains in the body came up and the hope and the fear, and that brought me to practice. And then coming into practice, I was able to call upon that faith, riding through all the waves. So I reflected so deeply as I came into practice on my grandparents' faith. And it allowed me to recall very difficult, painful memories. Maybe you're experiencing that as well, part of the purification process. And to be present for it. I remember tears coming to my eyes, reflecting on that faith and how much it had carried me over, through, over me over my entire life up until that point. It carries us both through the big storms and the little storms. I remember sitting at Forest Refuge uh, some time ago, I don't remember the year, but all of a sudden fear arising, just I was just noting Sensing, hearing, hearing, thinking, just noting. Maybe you're using that noting tool. I was really using the noting tool very actively. And all of a sudden, this strong desire 
overwhelming desire came. I've got to have a cookie. (laughs) I've got to get up from here right now and get a cookie. (laughs) And that faith, even for something that small, sticking with it. Of course, I knew there were no cookies because I was mopping the floor in the kitchen. (laughs) I would have spotted them (laughs) if they were there. Four minutes later, I've got to get out of here. (laughs) It's time to go. No, continue sitting. So maybe maybe you touch upon this too, those moments where you really want to get up and leave, but something keeps you here. Maybe the trust in the heart, the trust in the practice, the trust in something maybe you really don't know what it is, but something deep inside that keeps you here, something deep inside that brought you to this practice. So faith can really support the overcoming of doubt and fear and really allowing the purification process to happen, the karmic unknotting, as Bonnie said earlier in the week. So we can be present. This purification happens remembering the painful acts we may have undertaken that caused harm to others, to open to feeling the remorse, letting go of the guilt that may arise, opening to painful memories happened, maybe painful memories held in our body that are being released, beginning to purify the understanding of the truth the way it is. So faith allows us to sit with all those challenges, to not walk away. It provides us with the courage sometimes to go into the fire. As I went into the fire, in that time, sitting with all the friends who were dying in the, in the 80s and 90s, or sitting with the fire that you're experiencing here, right here on retreat. It allows us to really trust in awareness itself. Most of all, we're putting trust in awareness. We have to let go to the unknown. Over the course of my practice, it feels like this has just gotten deeper and deeper. The mystery just grows. The not knowing becomes greater and greater. And there's this greater sense of ease that comes with that opening to not knowing. So the Brahma Vihara practice too, I want to mention in respect to the, uh, again, in respect to the factor of faith that the Brahma Viharas are so important in supporting this practice and opening to our own goodness. I really made this mistake, so I say this in part to encourage you not to make the mistake in not respecting at the beginning of my practice how important the Brahma Viharas were to softening the heart, to opening the heart so the clearer understandings could happen. So another source of faith is the inspiration of the Buddha's awakening. And this beautiful poem by Sang San is one of my most important teachers. Sang San was the third Zen patriarch. 
but his book of Verses of the Faith Mind, some of you probably know this book of a, a poem, one poem, it's about the size of a note card, 20 pages long. And it's, I carry, carry it with me in my suitcase whenever I travel. Um, it's a long poem. I've memorized about half of it. I'd like to get to memorizing the full poem. I've probably read it three or four hundred times. That's how much I love the poem. The whole of the, the whole of the truth is really compacted into this beautiful poem. But this is another poem by Sang San uh, that was written at the time he visited Bodh Gaya, place of the Buddha's awakening. Once the great man sat under the Bodhi tree. He saw the morning star and was enlightened. He sat there and absolutely believed his eyes his ears, his nose, his tongue, his body, his mind. Very much like what we're doing right here. Just sitting with the sense doors open. Just sitting, present awareness. And he sat with the five spiritual faculties of faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, fully developed fully in balance and was able to withstand the force of Mara, to vanquish Mara. So that's something I reflected on many times in my practice as a way of strengthening faith. And the fact that he put in, the wheel, in motion the wheel of the Dharma that directly connects us to that moment of awakening right now. So there's also the faith we can call upon in taking refuge, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the Triple Gem. It may have a different meaning for each of us. You could take refuge in the Buddha as a figure who realized full awakening, sharing these teachings, the Dharma, the way it is, the Sangha. You could also, the Buddha could be understood as the Buddha within, Buddha nature, if that's what resonates for you. Sangha is traditionally understood as the lineage of those who've realized freedom to carry forward these teachings over 2,600 years. But Sangha is also the Sangha of practitioners right here in the hall as we support one another through this practice. Support one another through our taking of refuge, through our taking of the precepts, through our presence together here in the practice or the Sangha of all practitioners who are practicing today, who are alive today, or the whole Sangha of practitioners over history who have generously supported the Dharma so that these teachings have survived over these 2,600 years. I found in practice that taking refuge deepens during a retreat. I may not connect that deeply in taking refuge at the beginning of a retreat. But I bow anyway. Is it out of respect? And with the intention of supporting the development of faith as well. Taking refuge, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. And many times, and this may be true for some of you, there's a sense of the deepening of the faith, the deepening of the taking of refuge. You may connect with that if you're bowing and you connect with bowing. 
times I really connected with watching teachers who were important in my practice bow. I remember another time being at Forest Refuge with Joseph Goldstein, who's one of my teachers, a beloved teacher. And as he came into the hall at Forest Refuge, I'd always watch him bow. And I remember Joseph describing watching um, another great teacher uh, from India, Deepama, thank you, Guy, Deepama. And Joseph describing watching Deepama bow as emptiness bowing to emptiness. And that's what I was seeing on that retreat as Joseph bowed, emptiness bowing to emptiness. So just watching someone else bow, someone else you have trust and confidence in can be a source of inspiring faith. Bhikkhu Bodhi says that faith steers the mind away from the quagmire of doubt and settles it with serene trust in the triple gem as the supreme basis of deliverance. So we can really strengthen our faith to support this practice of just this present awareness, present empty awareness. Could say that we give ourselves to awareness, give ourselves fully to awareness. We can also draw upon the faith of the teachers. Sometimes we can see that our teachers have a confidence in our own practice that we may not be feeling at the time. So watching that, observing that, letting that help to also carry us through the difficult times. And then opening to our own authenticity. This is an edge of practice for me now, so I'm going into a little gray area, so stick with me. But I think it's a real important part of the practice to open to our own authenticity. Trusting, confident, even if we don't fit neatly into the boxes that society defines that we should fit into. As a gay man, that's especially important that I not hold tightly being a gay man and, and not let myself be seen. If I were doing that, if I wasn't letting myself be seen, wasn't accepting myself, how could I open to the truth? How could the heart open and soften to see things are, see things the way they are? We really are called upon to open to our own authenticity, not to take identification around it, but to open to the authenticity. There's this beautiful quote from Alice Walker on this. I'm an expression of the divine, just like a peach is, just like a fish is. I have a right to be this way. I can't apologize for that, nor can I change it, nor do I want to. We will never have to be other than who we are in order to be successful. We realize that we are as ourselves unlimited and our experience is valid. It is for the rest of the world to recognize this if they choose. I love that she uses the word unlimited because it suggests that through the acceptance of our own authenticity in every way, that it opens to 
a deeper understanding, opening to an understanding that who we are is the awareness itself, is this limited quality of light, of purity. And an edge of practice around authenticity is acknowledgement, my own practice of acknowledging some of my own deficiencies. I'm just waking up now at my late age to recognize the privileges that I enjoy as a white man. Even though I face discrimination as a gay man, I know the doors have opened for me that don't open for others. And it really allows me to open more deeply now to suffering, to acknowledge the privileges that I enjoy as a white man. And we're called upon this in this practice to open fully to suffering. So I'm op- opening more fully to the suffering of the discrimination, the prejudice that still exists in our society, particularly around race and ethnicity. And it opens the heart and it, I know it's, it's, it's just, a, it's in the process. It calls for action. It calls most of all for opening fully to it right here and then taking the appropriate action in the world. And it calls for speaking the truth and the willingness to be seen around this and to acknowledge what's present. And that non-identification too I want to speak to guy kind of brought me out of the closet relative to my being airport director. I'm still not quite comfortable sharing that in the Dharma. <laughs> but it's important to do. But a few years ago in practice, I came to the understanding that my job is airport director, but it's not who I am. I am not airport director. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> not who I am. And it's making it a lot easier. I've, I've loved my job. I've loved the people I work with. Had the opportunity to really do some good things. It's a government agency that makes money, so we can really do great things. Even have three yoga and meditation, room, yoga and meditation rooms in the airport now. So Now you know where they, they came from. <laughs> <laughs> But as I prepare to leave, it's, it's so great not to be identified with a job. That I can really take gratitude for having had this great career, but not have the shock of letting go of something that I define myself as being. So I thank the, the Dharma for that. So we can also have faith in our actions for social change, for social change, for environmental action. Face it, our actions are moving in the right direction, but not attaching to the hope of a specific result. Right? The hope is rooted in fear. So we, we're, we open to the suffering around social issues, around environmental issues. We take the actions that we think are appropriate We trust our heart to take those actions, trusting that it's going to lead in the right direction, but not becoming attached and making our happiness dependent on a specific outcome. 
So I've reviewed some, some different forms of faith, and I'd like to just now ask all of you to just close your eyes for a moment in whatever position you're in. You don't need to change your posture. Just be a minute. And just reflect on what you take faith in most deeply, where you can connect with faith in your practice. Faith in your life. Maybe in taking refuge. (coughs) Taking the precepts. And the chanting in the evening, maybe that arouses faith. Your own basic goodness. Buddha nature. Maybe a person like His Holiness the Dalai Lama. The triple gem of the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Really touching into that faith that you must deeply connect with so you can draw upon it in your practice. to carry you through, to support the arising of wisdom and the opening of the heart. And now connecting with your deepest aspiration in practice. You can open your eyes now if you wish and just understand these are things that are can be useful to draw upon in the practice. If you connect with bowing as I do, sometimes once a week, every two weeks, I come into the hall when the hall is empty, maybe at lunchtime, early in the morning, late at night, and I do a full bow, bowing to the floor, really reflecting on my deepest aspiration taking the deepest refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So I'd like to just touch in these last few minutes on the three forms of faith. Bright faith, verified faith, and abiding faith. So bright faith is a basic trust and conviction that happens in practice. And it can literally feel like a brightness that arises. For me, there's a, a, a real sense of brightness that arose on my first retreat here, hearing a talk on the Four Noble Truths. And there was so much suffering because of that pain and the aversion to the pain and the wanting the pain to be gone, and not seeing what was really going on. And hearing that there is the first noble truth of suffering, the acknowledgement that there is suffering hearing the second noble truth, that there is a cause of suffering, hearing that there is a third noble truth of the end of suffering, and that there is a noble truth of a path leading to the end of suffering. That bright faith arose, great confidence in this path. I really fell in love with the Dharma. That's what bright faith can sometimes feel like, like a falling in love with the Dharma a real sense of the possibility, a real trust and conviction, can feel a sense of kind of warmth or heat associated with this bright faith. 
And it is different than blind faith. Blind faith is uh, kind of an unthinking adherence to the teachings or a teacher. But bright faith is supported by the practice of mindfulness and the factor of wisdom, of discernment and insight. So verified faith, verified faith arises with deeper (coughs) insights in the truth of the way it is. And remember the Buddha said, see for yourself. Don't believe anything I have told you. Find out for yourself. The truth is to be found within. So we're called upon to actually let go of beliefs, let go of preconceptions, of expectations, of judgments, just to be fully present and to open to the not knowing. And with verified faith, we begin to have insights into the truth of the way it is, maybe insights into the nature of impermanence. There's nothing of this body or mind that's permanent, nothing of the world, nothing that we love that's permanent or lasting. Our insights into the nature of suffering are not self, these three characteristics of experience. And begin to have deep insights into the Four Noble Truths. So we have verified understandings of the Dharma that builds our confidence further. So as we realize, oh, what the Buddha said is really true, it allows us to deepen the faith to be present for going further to be present for any difficulties that arise, to have even deeper understanding. So faith is continuously deepening as we go through practice. Sometimes it may not feel that way when hopelessness or despair arise, but the direction is for faith to continuously deepen as insights arise. And then finally, abiding faith is a realization of the complete faith it arises with a realization of freedom, the third noble truth in the end of suffering, and the realization of the unconditioned, the deathless, freedom from suffering, which results from simply the absence of craving. With the absence of craving and clinging, there is freedom. So it's a going beyond, going beyond needing, beyond lacking, beyond even birth and death beyond good and bad, beyond yesterday, tomorrow and today. And that opens this boundless compassion for all beings into the, in, into the wisdom, the wisdom of the heart. And with this, there can be this taking of complete and final refuge. Ultimately, there can be a complete taking a refuge, complete and final taking of refuge. So in closing, again, the Buddha taught that anyone can realize the happiness that is sought, can realize a happiness not dependent on conditions. And this is not far off, but right here, right now. And I'd like to close with a quote from one of my favorite poets and one of my favorite poems from the Four Quartets, 
T.S. Eliot. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Through the unknown, unremembered gate, when the last of the earth left to discover is that which was the beginning, at the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall and the children in the apple tree. Not known, because not looked for, but heard, half heard, in the stillness between two waves of the sea. Quick now, here, now, always, a condition of complete simplicity costing not less than everything, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, when the tongues of flames are enfolded into the crown knot of fire. Let's sit for just a moment, let the word settle. Thank you for your attention and practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.